You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. A week or so ago, um, some of you know we were in the island of St. Thomas and we had gone over to uh, another island, St. John, and we were going and looking at different historical sites and learning a little bit about the history of the islands. And like we're going to stop at this one more place. Now, for me personally, I was carsick 99.9% of the time I was there uh, because every road is windy and, and I'm sitting in the back. I'm not driving, which is perfectly fine. It was like oh, the other side of the road, and yet the, the car was still oriented on the way that we're normally used to it. So that would have been really confusing for me. Um, but I was uh, nauseous a lot, and um, so we're like, one more stop, and I'm like, okay, great, let's do one more stop, and we're, we climb, uh, we get to this place, we start climbing up this, you know, mountain, if you will, and uh, there's also like donkey dung everywhere, you know, like there's a lot of wild donkeys there, there's a historical reason for that as well, so you're just kind of dodging stuff, right, uh, on this path, and it's high, and it's rocky, and you're just like, what, where are we going what are we doing but have you ever been on a difficult walk a trek to get somewhere that somebody told you that hey it's going to be worth it like a famous place or or maybe some famous view or vista if you will it's going to be worth it I think we've all been on those kinds of walks where we've gone to this waterfall or we're going to go to this view or we're going to go look at this sunrise or this sunset and this secluded place or this mountain range And many times, just like in this case, when we got to the top of the hill and we looked out over, it was like, oh man, that was worth it. And many times, like after that hard trek or that hard journey, you're like, man, it was worth dodging the donkey poo. It was worth climbing up the mountain. It was worth it to get up here. It was worth being nauseous to drive here to see this. But also there are times where we get to the destination and The opposite has certainly happened, right, where you've been promised it's going to be amazing and then it was kind of underwhelming. Like, yeah, I I could have not wasted my time on this. Here's what I want you to understand. God never overpromises. He just promises. He doesn't have to overpromise. God promises and God's promises, which are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, always overdeliver than what we can think or even imagine. He promises and he delivers. And in Christ we receive his promises. And so as we were just seeing, the more we know Jesus, the more we love Jesus. And the more we love Jesus, the more we follow Jesus. And the more we follow Jesus, the more we love Jesus. And the more we love Jesus, the more we know Jesus. This is how it works. Know, love, follow, follow no love love follow no and what doesn't whichever comes first it doesn't really matter but each one leads to the next and then it's cyclical it's always going to return and come back to the other the more i know him the more i love him the more i love him the more i want to know him the more i love him i want to follow him the more i follow him the more i love him and know him Jesus, this is how god has called us to live and all of these actions 
of knowing God and following God and loving God, all of those are possible because God initiated them for us in Christ. Nothing we did in our own. We know God because he revealed himself to us in Christ. We love God, the word says, because he first loved us. And we followed Jesus because he gave us the invitation to drop everything that we were doing and everything that we depended on in the past and follow him. He initiated it. That everything that we would do now would be following in his footsteps. It's not an easy walk, but it is a good walk. And here's what I want to tell you. No matter how difficult the walk is, no matter what you have to dodge or climb or go through to get there, it's worth it. What you see in Christ is worth it. Philippians 3.14 says that we press on towards the goal that is in Christ Jesus. What was Paul's goal? What was he pressing towards? That he would have this complete knowledge of Christ both in his resurrection and in his suffering. You don't get one without the other when you follow in his footsteps. And again, what we find is that the footsteps are difficult to follow, but by God's grace, which is sufficient to help us, the destination is always going to be worth it all. Just to know you is worth all I've been through. And if you don't know that yet, then maybe you haven't reached the vista yet. Maybe you haven't gotten to the destination yet. Ultimately, we've, none of us have gotten to the final destination of where God is taking us. And that is when we will completely see that all that we've been through was worth it all. 1 John 4, 7, if you have your Bible, I want to read there and start with this passage of Scripture, verse 7 through 15. As we talk about the love of God today, yes, our mission statement, love God, love people, reach the world, but what does that look like? Because we can all say that we agree with that, but how do we live it out? 1 John 4, 7, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Lord, we thank you for your word. Let us be those that love as you have loved us. To know what that looks like. To follow you. To know you more. And to love like you love. 
We're in week two of this series, Gathered to Go. And we're looking at what it means to be the church that gathers, which is what we're doing today, what we do each and every Sunday and every other time that we gather, whether it's something like prayer and communion tonight or whether it's a connect group during the week or whether it's an outreach on a Saturday or any other day. Whatever it is, we gather. But this corporate gathering is so that we can be equipped to also go. That's the call on our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ, to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that's what we are, a gospel-revealing church, into the earth today by answering the Great Commission, which is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And God said, I will be with you, Jesus, to the very end of the age. So I want to explore what this call to go looks like in the rule of life that Jesus lived out in the incarnation. As we follow in his footsteps, it makes a lot of sense to look at what his footsteps looked like. What did he do? How did he respond? What was his actions as God in the flesh? Because yes, as our mission statement states, we are to love God and we're to love people and we're going to reach the world with that love, but how? By just declaring that's a mission statement? by just showing up on Sunday and worshiping Jesus. So I wanna practically talk through some of these things that we can learn from looking at Jesus and then following his footsteps as we gather in his name. Amen, I love gathering in his name. The Bible's very clear, don't forsake doing that. We continue to gather in his name. It's super important that you don't forsake the gathering of the body of Christ. But as we gather in his name, we are also to go in his name. As we gather to receive his love this morning, we also go to share or to export that love to others. That's what 1 John 4 is saying again and again. If we truly love God as God loves us, the most loving thing that we can do, as it says in verse 14, is to testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If we truly love God, then he's saying, then you will testify of the love that the Father has for all that he would send his son Jesus to be the savior of the world. What does this love look like practically, particularly in a polarized and contentious world that we live in? Would anybody disagree that we live in a polarized, contentious world? So how do we love each other? How do we love each other in the body of Christ? How do we love others that are enemies, if you will? In his book, The Common Ground Mandate, Dr. Rice Brooks uses an acronym, STEPS, to show how we can go about finding common ground, following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Last week I mentioned another acronym, SALT, where we start a conversation, we ask questions, we listen to what someone's saying back to us, and then when given the opportunity, we tell them the good news, we tell them the story, our story, what Christ did in us, and what he can do for them. When it comes to steps, in essence, we're talking about taking steps to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. He is the one that we follow after. As disciples of Jesus, we learn from him and do what he leads us to do. So to make sure that we are going and following in the footsteps of Jesus, we gather as the church and then we go in his name. But how do we do that? So I want to use this acronym to look at what Jesus did for us while he walked the earth, literally took footsteps in the earth, and how we follow. Briefly mention how we're to keep in step with him as we go into the world. Not to be of it, remember, but still to be fully engaged in it. 
I'm not of the world, but I am still supposed to be fully engaged in it, not avoiding it, not hiding away till Jesus comes back, but to go into the world and to love as Jesus loved. My hope, my goal for this series, and when God put it on my heart months ago, is that we would be so in love with Jesus that we would love one another better and reach more people with the gospel. My hope is that we would pray and ask God for open doors and that we would take those opportunities because they are multiple opportunities throughout the day and throughout the week to share what God has done for us in hopes that God would save some. One of the ways we do that is to find some way to engage others, even when it feels like this world is so polarizing that it makes no sense to try to engage somebody else. So to help you avoid trying to anticipate what each of these letters stands for, because if you're like me, you're like, what does the S stand for in T? And, he, and, you're, and you're already thinking about that. I'm going to go ahead and give it to all of you right now, straight up at the front, so you don't have to think about it. This is what it means. This is the full acronym, STEPS. C, trade places, empathize. Pay the price. Seek. You don't have to write it all down. Like, I'll come back to all of them one at a time. I just wanted you not to have to think about it the rest of the message. Let's start with C. Give me an S. Hello? Oh, thank you. Yes, I want to mention how Jesus modeled this. This is the point of each of these steps and each of these letters. But first let me mention, and I want you to understand that God has always been a God who sees. He's always been a God who has seen everything. He is omnipresent. He's omniscient, seeing all things at all time for all time. But on a more personal level, I can't help but recall when God is introduced to one of the most marginalized, devalued outcasts in Bible history narrative as El Roy, the God who sees. That's two words, not the son of the Jetsons, but El God Roy. The God who sees. Because he saw Hagar when she was hiding and in a ton of distress and all alone in the wilderness with just her son. Nobody caring about her. Nobody taking care of her. Nobody even considering what her life would be like. And God shows up in that place and meets her right where she is. Why? Because he saw her. He sees. Meaning God is a personal God who meets us in our deepest, darkest, most alone times. He sees you in the wilderness. He sees you when you are. He sees you no matter what you're going through. He's a God who sees. He's personal. And no matter what you are doing, what you're going through, he sees you. And no greater proof than when he sent Jesus to see us face to face. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. When we didn't even see the situation that we were in, when we had no power to change it, when we were all alone, when we were in the wilderness and the desert of our lives, Christ died for us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us. There's that word again that was all through 1 John 4. Own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God started the reconciliation process. Why? Because he saw the brokenness 
and the sinfulness of humanity. And he knew that the only way that we could be saved was to send his son to take our place. That he had everything that we needed and he initiated a redemptive plan to save us from death. Jesus came and he came to see us literally face to face. Then he modeled this as well. Jesus, as we follow in his footsteps and we look at his ministry life and his life throughout, you could see in his lifetime he initiated conversation after conversation because he saw a need in the brokenness of people's lives. He saw where others saw a half-breed whore. He saw a woman at the well. Where others saw a money mongerer. He saw a man named Zacchaeus, and he went to his house. Where others saw an opportunity to talk about a theological issue, or did this man's parents sin, or did he sin? He saw a blind man that needed sight. When others saw a woman caught in adultery, Jesus saw a woman who needed to be dignified and given freedom. Think about how Jesus didn't just see their brokenness, didn't just see their hurt and their pain, but he saw their hearts and he had compassion. He saw their true self. He saw their destiny. He saw their freedom in Christ and he set them free. What about us? As we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, what do we see when we look around? What do we see in people when we look around? Are we even willing to look up and see? All we have to do, church, all we have to do in focus is open up our eyes and look and we'll see the brokenness and the needs of those around us. Problematically, we quite literally live in a world that never looks up. Can I see what God wants me to see in people made in his image if I'm never looking at them? It's so easy to literally never look up. To never look up and see that the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. It's impossible to see if we're not looking, and that's not philosophical, that's actual. If we will have eyes to see and we ask God to help us see others the way that he sees them, we will find it easier to build a bridge of common ground, even with those who we think we have nothing in common. We'll find an open door for the gospel to set them free. And I think what we'll see when we see with Jesus' eyes is that we have more in common with people than we don't. At the very least, we see we have enough in common to start a conversation and to see where the Holy Spirit might lead. Brent says we just should throw away our phones. No, I didn't say that. I'm just saying that there are times where you should probably just stick it in your pocket and look around and see that the harvest field is ripe. God, who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to help? Who do you want me to pray for? If this is intimidating to you, don't let it be. Just know sometimes all you got to do is show up. Listen, sometimes the hardest thing to do 
and we could all attest to this, is whether it's Sunday morning church or whether it's Sunday evening prayer and communion or whether it's a connect group or whether it's the job or whether it's an outreach or whether it's whatever, one of the most hardest things to do is just to show up. As is evidenced by the fact that some of the chairs, right, are always empty. It's just showing up. And if we will just show up sometimes, God will do what you couldn't even imagine that he would do. I mean, listen, let me just tell you this right now. When I was down doing this work last week, and this happens all the time in my life, there are things that I don't really want to do in my flesh because I'm afraid or I'm intimidated or I feel like I'm irrelevant and it won't matter. Listen, there is nothing more odd in some ways than a 52-year-old white man showing up on an HBCU in the islands. What do I have to offer? But I just showed up. And God began to use that to open up doors in people's hearts that on the outside I've got nothing in common with except the need for a Savior. Show up in that old saying and let God show out. It could sound so cliche, but it's so true. Just show up. Give me a T. Hey! trade places for Jesus this is known as the incarnation still one of the most mind-boggling mysteries in all of history where God becomes man God in the flesh in Jesus Christ and he did this to make a way for our hearts to be healed he did this to make a way for our sins to be forgiven and for us to be able to have an opportunity to have an eternal life This was and is the greatest act of humility ever. By becoming like us, now Jesus can be known by us. He didn't pretend to be like us. He he wasn't faking trying to be like us. He was one of us. And that's what we do. We don't just pretend to be like people. We We trade places is what Jesus is trying to show us. We are becoming, if you will, in such a way that we understand what this person is going through. And Jesus did that. He had spoken ways to people that they understood. He used parables. That's why we use that type of speaking still today. That's why they're still relevant today to use stories and to use images and to use props of any kind to explain the story of what Christ has done. For us, when we follow Jesus and we trade places with others, if we follow in his footsteps to do the same, it speaks to our ability to see somebody else's perspective. See, if we're going to reach out, church, if we're going to actually take these steps to evangelize, because that's really what we're talking about, to love people the way God loved us, then we are going to have to be able to try to understand somebody than just try to be understood. We're going to have to listen to others instead of just try to get our point across. As we walk in their shoes, as we trade places, we begin to see their perspective. And this is so helpful because being able to see somebody else's perspective and see something about them that may seem insignificant to you can change the whole conversation that God wants you to have with them and begin to share the story of what Christ has done. Oh, I can see that. Oh, I'm listening. I'm listening for what you're saying and I'm listening for what God's saying. Give me an E. Okay. What, y'all, could y'all do that together? That's annoying. 
empathize. I empathize with you all. Jesus showed empathy. I think this is so important. To have empathy means this, to feel the pain or identify with the suffering of others. Because God came in human flesh, Jesus literally walked in our shoes. So now we're able to walk in his footsteps because Jesus has walked through this life. He knows our struggles. He knows our difficulties. He knows our temptations. He knows our hurts. He knows our fears. And guess what? Knowing all of that, he still loves you. He knows all of that and he still loves you and he still pursues you. Jesus understands everything about us. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now this is talking about the fact that in the weakness of our temptations, but also Jesus understood every weakness that we have as humans because he was human like us, and yet still God at the same time. If Jesus did this for humanity, then if we're going to follow in his footsteps and see people the way God sees them, that's when we begin to see God open up doors that we would never be able to see opened any other way. When we see people the, that way, the way God sees them, we see their perspective, we walk in their shoes, we can empathize with others. Feeling someone else's burden or pain is so vital to building bridges of common ground and building bridges of understanding. And once we've shown others how much we care, then we're able to share how much God cares for them. We represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We represent him by extending God's love to them. And then we're able to share. I love when I was ministering with Pastor Keith Tower and he was praying for this one young lady and he said, God loved you so much that he sent an old guy from Orlando like me all the way down here to you to tell you that he loves you. Have you ever thought about that, that the door that God's opening is God's love letter to the individual that he's giving you an opportunity to share the good news with? God loves you so much that he takes something that doesn't even make any sense and he'll put you in that situation so that person knows that that has to be the love of God because there's no other reason that you would be here right now telling me this except for the love of Jesus inside of you. All right, here we go. Give me a P pretty good pay the price I don't think there's anyone who knows the story of Jesus agnostic or otherwise who would argue with the fact that he paid the ultimate price for our sins he paid the debt of our sins it was costly it cost him his life Isaiah, the messianic prophecy, said so, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus paid the price because God so loved the world. Don't ever forget that. However your theology takes you, please don't ever forget that Jesus paid the price because God so loved the world. God is love, so every action is motivated by love. 
Again, back to what 1 John 4 says, that if God is love, and he is, then we are to love as he loves. We see this in Jesus' life as he's always moved by compassion for people. He's always moved by his love for the Father and his love for people, his love for God and his love for people. He didn't just pity people. He didn't just feel sorry for people. He loves people. He doesn't feel sorry for you. He doesn't pity you. He loves you. He loves us, and Christ's love is always demonstrated through loving action. That's why it goes on later in 1 John 4. I didn't read this part that says, hey, how can you say you love God and then not love the brother that you see? We'll go back to the see part. You first got to see your brother or sister that God loves, and you have to love them if you truly say that you love God. What we do flows out of love Jesus taught this demonstrative type of love in the story that's so well known that even if you're not a Christian you know the story and you tell it and it has its own meaning when we say somebody's a good Samaritan see when asked by a religious leader to define exactly who is the neighbor that we're supposed to love Jesus tells this story of a man who was robbed and left for dead in a ditch on a well-traveled road a road that plenty of people would begin to pass by. And that's exactly what happened. Everybody knew people would pass by as he's telling the story. All right, somebody's going to pass by. And then he tells the story of how a religious leader passed by and just kept going. And then another religious person, which in your mind they're thinking, well, they surely would stop. That's the pastor or that's the worship leader or that's the deacon or that's the elder or that's a Christian. They're going to stop and they go on by until he gets to the third person. And in the well-known story, it's a Samaritan. A person of another ethnicity stops and takes care of this injured man. Someone that no one would expect to do that because these people hate each other. And he takes the man to a place where he can be recovered and he can stay and he even pays his medical bills. We all know that would be pretty expensive today. And this is the call that is given to us still today when it comes to empathizing and, and taking that step, if you will, of paying the price. Jesus came, and actually all of us are that man in the ditch, the injured person in that ditch who was beaten and left for dead. And Jesus came to our rescue when we had nothing to make us want to be saved and nothing that we knew that could save us. Jesus stepped into the dysfunction of our ditches and he saved us. He healed us. He gave us hope. And he paid every debt that we owed so that we could be made well. So, if we're going to follow in Jesus' footsteps, then we have to be those who are willing to pay the price to reach others today. It is costly. It is costly to cross the road of comfort. It is costly to allow our lives to be interrupted. It is costly to get into the ditch of dysfunction and hurt and pain of people's lives. We are to be agents of mercy and forgiveness, not judgment and revenge. And in a deeply polarized world, and I'm here to tell you over the next year, we're going to be challenged again like never before. I want to exhort you, IFC, that the world is not going to be helped or healed by angry, contentious, resentful people. 
We must be willing to pay the price. And the price of love will always cause us to die to ourselves. It will always cause us to be interrupted. It will always cause us to have to pay something to get our hands dirty. And when it comes to reaching others, being a church willing to go, we have to go to places and to people that are difficult, that are not like us, that may not look like us, that may not think like us, that may not vote like us, that may not have anything that is in common with us, but there is something common that is common to all of us, and that is the need for a Savior. We have to honestly assess our lives, though, in order to take these steps like Jesus did and recognize the things that would keep us from following him. Any discrimination, racism, polarizing attitudes or stereotypes that hinder us from finding common ground with people God wants to save and that are made in his image. And then we have to pay the price to eliminate those things. This may cause you to walk away from people who are determined to stay in a constant state of agitation, anger, and outrage. Are you around people that like, look, they're just constantly stoking the fires of outrage and agitation? may cause you to walk away from that. And it also may cause you to make a divine alliance with people that you used to put in a monolithic category of them. Or those people. God saved us to transform us. And a significant change is costly. And the end result, we'll come back to our little trek here. See, the end result of that transformation that is costly is infinitely worth it. When you get to that place where you begin to see some areas of your life that look more like Jesus than they used to, it's infinitely worth it. Not in a prideful way, but in a humbling, grateful way. We've covered see, trade places, empathize, pay the price, and lastly, you don't have to give me an S, but seek. Aren't you glad that God sought you out? God is the seeker. Through Jesus Christ, we are the found. And found people continue to find people. Jesus sought us out to save us. He said so in Luke 19.10. This is the end of the story about Zacchaeus. And he's visiting his house and he's spending time with him. And people are kind of giving him the side eye like, what are you doing? And here's what Jesus says. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was constantly seeking and reaching out to the outsiders to make them insiders. He sought out the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the outcast, the unloved, and he made them feel seen, loved, and accepted. Even when the religious leaders called Jesus' associations questionable, he refused to let that keep him from ministering to those who needed his saving grace. In the case of Zacchaeus, in the case of the Samaritan woman, in the case of the woman caught in adultery, in the case of the blind man, it did all the way down the line. In the case of the centurion, Jesus' visit with them revealed his acceptance of them because he does not worry about the impression on his testimony these associations make. His priority is to associate closely enough with the lost that they may come to know the grace of God. 
Church, what would happen if in focus our priority was to associate closely enough with the lost that they came to know the grace of God? No matter what anybody else thought about our associations. See, when Jesus gathered his disciples together, he commissioned them to go in the power of his name. In essence, he showed them and told them it would be hard, that the journey would be difficult, that some would die and some did, but all would suffer. But he would be with them, he said, to the very end of the age. He said, follow me, and they followed, as we went through today, in his steps. Church, we've been given the same call to go. We are to seek the lost, to help the hurting. And to seek means to diligently search and to make it your top priority. We have to be those that are going and are looking for open doors and opportunities to serve other people. If we will order our lives in this way, if we will open up our eyes and we will order our lives in this way, live this way, we'll find God opening up doors that you never dreamed possible. Sometimes just because you showed up. There are people all over the world who have been desperate to hear the good news of the gospel. And 2 Corinthians says, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So we take the steps that are necessary. We take the steps that are necessary to see. We see people where they are. What's T? We trade places with them. What's E? We empathize with them. We pay the price because it's going to cost you something. Whatever is, whatever is worth something costs something. But then we also have to continue to seek. Listen, church, the number one growth strategy for In Focus Church is that we would continue to seek and to see Jesus save the lost. That's the number one growth strategy. Always has been, always will be. That we would fill the chairs up with people in your life, around your life, or people that you never thought you'd cross paths with in your life who are now coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because you are willing to follow in the footsteps of your Savior. Amen. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.